Your spoken image is more than just the words you say. It's how you connect with your audience, how you convey your expertise, and it's how you leave a lasting impression. Hey there, this is April Lokar with Semi-Conventional, and I wanted to talk to you about your spoken image strategy. This is an offer that isn't just about refining your speaking skills. It's about aligning your message with your mission to create a meaningful impact. As part of your spoken image strategy, we start with a personalized strategy call. Your transformation really begins with this one-on-one strategy call where we get clear on your goals. We also align on the spoken image pillars that will streamline your talking points, ensuring every word you speak drives your vision forward. And then we have ongoing support as part of this as well. Your transformation doesn't stop at the end of the call. You'll then get two weeks of unlimited audio messaging support, and that gives you direct guidance from me as you refine and implement your strategy. So whether you have questions, need feedback, or just want to bounce ideas around, I am here to support you seamlessly. If you're an entrepreneur or a professional who has an upcoming speaking engagement or a networking event, if you aspire to be an impactful speaker in your industry, and if you see value in focusing and elevating a specific area of expertise in your business, we need to talk. If you're ready to speak with purpose and passion, book your spoken image strategy session today at semiconventional.com slash spoken image. Now back to the show. Hey there, today I'm covering some recently asked questions about speaking, thought leadership, and the target audience for this podcast and my client work. There's some really great gems in here, so I can't wait to get into it. First, thank you to each and every one of you who is listening to this podcast. I started this podcast to get some of my most valuable ideas and tips in the ears of people that can really benefit from the experience I have to offer. And the fact that you're spending your time here listening, it really means so much to me. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, I have an ask. Go over to semiconventional.com and sign up for the newsletter. I'm building some automation so you'll get updates when new episodes are released, and I would also love to connect with you. Now, let's get into these recently asked questions. Welcome to Her Spoken Image. I'm April Lokar, founder of Semi-Conventional and Thought Leadership Consultant. Are you ready to make a greater impact using your unique perspective? I know what it's like to realize you're in the middle of your career and want to create a new path. I've pivoted from school teacher to corporate trainer to entrepreneur with lots of lessons learned along the way. If you want to use your authentic voice to speak up with confidence, you're going to love it here. Each episode, you'll get actionable tips to master public speaking like a pro while honing your spoken image so your message comes through loud and clear. And we'll do all this through a semi-conventional lens that blends a little tradition with a lot of feminist perspective. Sound good? then let's get into it. Now I'm calling these recently asked questions instead of frequently asked questions, because these are all things that came up in uh, recent conversations that I've had with many people, whether that's clients or listeners. 
But as I was outlining this episode, I also thought of a story that I just had to share with you. Sometime last year, we realized that our front door was actually not made very well. It was still one of those hollow corridors, uh, which if you are familiar, um, is not very safe or secure for an external door, especially your front door. So we got it replaced and the guys that showed up to come install this door, we had a little interaction and I just, it came back to me the other day and I had to share it with you all. Now for a little bit of backstory, this door, we tried replacing the handle on it, um, the doorknob and the deadbolt a little while back. And we realized that the one that we had, the hole was kind of in the wrong place. And that was kind of the start of figuring out that we had the wrong door on the front door to begin with. And so when I replaced the deadbolt myself, I went to go install the knob and realized, oh, this isn't in the right placement. So we left the new deadbolt, but we needed to keep the old handle on. So when the guys came to replace the door, I let them know, hey, the deadbolt that's on this door is going to go on the new door. And then in this bag is the handle, the doorknob that matches the deadbolt. And I need that one to go on. And I kid you not, they asked me about this thing like three times. And the kicker was when the, the guy asked me when they were about done installing and they just were putting all of the hardware back on, um, on the new door, the guy comes over and he says, oh, so when your husband put this on the first time and I just had to stop and think to myself, am I choosing violence today or am I just going to nod my head with his question and move along? Because anyone that knows me knows that I'm usually the one to do the quick little around the house projects and things like that. Um, This is part of our semi-conventional life. My husband is usually the one that's like, okay, you know, we'll do it if we have to. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm the one that does the the quick little, you know, DIY stuff around the house. And it took everything in my body to not let it go at this guy. It was such a challenge because everything in my body wanted to go off on him about gender stereotypes, the fact that I already told him that I installed this thing, but it like clearly didn't sink in. And it was such an adventure in trying to decide if it was worth having that conversation at that moment or not. Now, when I told my husband this story, when he got home that day, he laughed because he knew that those guys had no idea what they were about to get into if I really wanted to have a conversation that day. So the reason why I'm telling you this is to serve as a reminder that there are tons of people in this world with deeply held gendered stereotypes. And as much as we would like to believe that others are progressive like us, we all know that's just not true. And that's why many of us do the work that we do. Which brings me to my first question of the recently asked questions. And somebody recently asked me, is your podcast only for women? And I had to stop and think about the background on that question. And part of the background is that I say that this podcast is for feminist entrepreneurs, which doesn't mean women. 
right? Men can be feminists. Anyone can be feminist, regardless of their gender identification. Um, but feminist to me is the key word because I only really want to be talking to people that believe in equality of all kinds. And for me, feminist is the right word for all of that, right? So thinking about who this podcast is for, it's not for people that want to live in that stereotypically gendered world. It's not for, you know, the guys that installed my doorknob, let me tell you that much. It's for anyone that wants to make a better world and a more progressive world with the work that they do. And, you know, there's so many things that go into the feminist perspective, but even just thinking about other things in the world where feminism truly comes into play, you know, I've talked about this in other places before, but I coach my son's soccer team, having no previous experience in playing or coaching, but here we are. Um, you know, I've I've been married to a coach now for 16 years, so I've learned some things along the way. But a great example of these gendered perspectives is that I have been signed up for two years now as the head coach of his soccer team. And my husband is the assistant coach. So last year was our first year and we went to the coaching training day, um, if you want to call it that. I have lots of thoughts about that that I'll share a different day. But we went to the training. We were supposed to get signed off as being, you know, U12 coaches in AYSO. And the individual that did this training never signed us off. So come back into our second year and it's over the summer. And I realized that we didn't get credit for taking that class and get that certification. And with AYSO soccer, that's a really big deal to get that certification, uh, especially once you start coaching at the more intermediate levels. And so I emailed, great, okay, yes, we'll take care of it. And so the person that did this training signed off my husband, but didn't give me credit for it. And I thought, huh, that's kind of weird. So I sent an email again, never heard back. Okay. And then a new person took over that position. And this individual uh, recently told me that they had to sign off many female coaches who never got their credit for taking that training. And without saying it, it was implied that it was because we were women coaches, this individual who was a man, and I have many thoughts about this person, but I'll keep that off the podcast airwaves. Uh, he never gave us credit for the class, which honestly is just complete BS. So it's that kind of stuff that happens in the day to day for many of us that are women or female identifying and that's not the world that I want to live in. So why is my podcast for feminists? It's because I believe in the power of our collective voices in making a more progressive and equal world with all of the work that all of us are doing. So I'll kind of leave it there for now. Um, but I do just want to, uh, to reiterate that this is not a podcast for women it is a podcast for anyone that believes in a feminist perspective. So with that, let's move on to the next question. And 
The next question was, how much should I focus on removing filler words from my speaking? And this was such an interesting conversation because we started talking about filler words versus repetitive words. So something to keep in mind is that filler words, in my opinion, are used to take up space when you're nervous or you don't know what to say. So you might go, so that's why, um, because you're pausing to think of the next thing that you want to say. Whereas you'll notice in the way that I speak, I'll take pauses and let there be a little bit of space in that conversation. So for me, filler words are things like, um, ah, so like, and things of that nature, right? There's many more. But the interesting part of this conversation was then thinking about repetitive words, because some of us think about words like saying, right, at the end of a sentence. And uh, some people do that a lot. And that's okay. I think about repetitive words as being things that you naturally say over and over again. And we all have them. I honestly am not 100% sure what all of mine are, but they change over time. And I notice it in a lot of other people. So I know that I have them as well. You can email me and tell me what my repetitive words or phrases are. These are part of your spoken image. They are natural to you and they can become endearing for your audience. So depending on what it is that you're saying, your repetitive words can be a part of the way that you speak. And Things like, you know, catchphrases or taglines or sayings that are unique to you, those are all things that come out of repetitive words and phrases. So I first like to keep in mind the difference between filler words and repetitive words. If you're not sure what you're using, listen to yourself and see if you're using filler words like, um, uh, so and making sounds instead of pausing when you need a quick minute to gather your thoughts, or if you're using repetitive words. Then if you're using repetitive words, I want you to give a real listen as you're speaking in the next week or so. And think about if those repetitive words are getting in the way of your message. So I don't mind if somebody says right at the end of their sentence to emphasize the point, right? It's a little bit more emphatic. I've also met many people that say right every fifth word (laughs) as sort of a way to track that you're still with them. And that gets in the way of the message because it's distracting. So there's a lot of nuance here that goes into all of this. And I want you to just give a little bit of attention to those filler words versus repetitive words. If you're using filler words, getting clear on your talking points and your message will really, really help. Learning to pause instead of filling the silence. And if you're using repetitive words, I have two questions that you can ask yourself. Are my repetitive words getting in the way of my message? And again, if you're not sure, ask the people you're talking with. The second question would be, are my repetitive words something that's true to who I am? And this can be a little harder to figure out. It's a little bit tricky. Thinking about, is this something that I naturally say, or is it a habit picked up from someone else? So listen to a group of teenagers talking and 
they all say a lot of very similar things in very similar ways, picking up habits from each other in how they talk. I want you to think about your repetitive words and do a little bit of exploration on if those are something that is natural to you that you've kind of come up with over time. And that can be influenced by other people. There's no problem with that. But does it feel natural to you or is it borrowed from somebody else? If it feels natural and it's really become a part of the way you speak, that's not a big deal. What we want to do is make sure that you minimize your filler words and use your repetitive words strategically where they're natural for you and not just using those then as filler words. So it can be, again, super nuanced and there's not one right answer, which is kind of the key to all of this is that it's a matter of what's right for you which I think is pretty great. Um, That's how I like to work with my clients is depending on what works for them, right? That everybody has different ways of using their spoken image and of speaking and of getting their point across and the cadence that they talk with and all of that sort of thing. So it's, to me, really fascinating. That's why it's the work that I do. Uh, But Keep all of that in mind. And again, I would love to hear your feedback on any repetitive words you find yourself using and any filler words that you're really looking to minimize. Now, the final question for this episode is a little bit longer. And it's something that came up recently with somebody that I was talking to about my work in semi-conventional. And the question is, what's the next step to taking my message to the next level and really becoming a thought leader? And this is a very complex question. (laughs) There's a lot of great news. Um, There's not just one path to follow. So again, you're going to hear me say this a lot. You get to make your own path depending on what you want to do and what feels right for your journey. So the way that I work with clients is we create a strategy for them based on a lot of factors. And I won't get into all of those factors right now, but I will give you a lot of the options that we talk through. And each of these options has many nuances to it as well. So we're kind of scratching the surface here today. But just thinking about the options to becoming a thought leader, speaking opportunities. We've talked about this on this podcast already. But bringing up all of these speaking opportunities is really, really crucial to making sure that you have a strategy around it. Conferences, events, making your own thing, whether that's an in-person or a virtual event or a workshop or something like that. Um, Reaching out to your local resources. That's something that a lot of people really overlook. Sometimes we're so focused on the big stage and the TED Talks and all of that, that we overlook things like our local colleges or clubs, um, you know, especially like women's networks and things like that. Um, Those local opportunities have a lot of options, especially if you're just trying to get your foot in the door and you're not asking for, you know, a big speaker fee. There's a lot of options out there for you to get into those speaking opportunities. Another option on the make your own path to being a thought leader is digital products, which again, we've covered a little bit and it's going to continue to come up and we'll go deeper and deeper on this. 
Things like workshop recordings, right? If you do a virtual event, can you record it and then repurpose that and then make that available for people, whether that's free or paid? Turning all of your knowledge into a course. And I say all of your knowledge, you know, kind of with a with an asterisk next to it, uh, because I don't want you to put all of your knowledge into one course. Uh, we want this to be a very specific, targeted course. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that as well. Other things like memberships and subscriptions, all of those are part of that digital product suite that can be part of your thought leadership. We also have things like networking and collaborations. So putting yourself out there in new circles, whether that is a free group or a paid networking group. In my experience, the free groups are usually terrible. Um, and you need some sort of a, you know, more close knit paid networking opportunity uh, for it to be really worth your while. Uh, definitely want to hear from you to change my mind if you've had a different experience with free groups. But all of these types of networking groups that are out there, especially online, are really, really valuable when you find the right fit for you. Also asking for introductions to others that surround your current network. So if that means you need to look at everyone's LinkedIn profile and see who they're connected to that you might also want to be connected to, that doesn't necessarily mean you're asking them for a warm introduction, but maybe they're people that you're adding on LinkedIn. Um, and that doesn't require a lot from your network, but it is something that you know you can use your network for. If there's somebody that you know, that knows somebody else you want to know, definitely asking for a quick introduction um, is not a bad thing either. Again, it just, you kind of have to feel out who it is you're asking and what you're asking for. If it's, hey, can you shoot them an email and introduce us? People are usually really willing to do that. And then offering something of value to others. So this is where that collaboration comes in. Being of service and building a relationship with the people that can expose you to new networks, right? We all have different circles and different circles of people that know other different circles of people. So really offering something to others, again, maybe that's, hey, I'll come speak to your group or, you know, I can bring this thing to your next networking event or whatever the case may be. You can get super creative with that and work on those collaborations to continue building out your network. That is a huge component of your path to thought leadership. The last option that we're going to talk about is media. So signing up for Help a Reporter Out is a huge benefit if you don't want to pay for PR, hire a PR person, or if you're not really connected to a lot of people in written media, help a reporter out if you're not familiar is where different media personnel will go on there. And typically it's reporters, right? Journalists of some kind. And they're going on there and basically putting in a request and kind of sending things out saying, I need help from this type of expert on this type of article talking about this thing. They all work very differently. But I have known lots of people that sign up for Help a Reporter Out. And basically, you get a daily update. You can get an update, I think it's like three times a day or more frequently. I don't recommend more frequently because three times a day is already a lot. Um, But anytime you get those emails, you kind of just look through it and see what options are out there. 
and it'll tell you what they're looking for, how to connect with the person and all of that good stuff. But help a reporter out is a great way to get media exposure, especially if you are super, super niche. It's very helpful because if you find the right person, they're probably going to use you as an expert in their article. Another thing that you can do media wise is kind of the tried and true writing a blog, which I know sounds really basic. And a lot of people don't really want to write a blog at this point in time, but they're still really effective. They're super easy to find in search engines. So if somebody is looking for something that you happen to be talking about, as long as you've used very clear descriptive language of what your article's about, your blog is very easy for people to find. And it lives as long as you have your blog posted on a website somewhere. So the really valuable thing here is continuing to blog and making it more consistent because that's when you'll get pushed up a little bit more in the search rankings. People like to find things that are new and that are more recently written. I know for myself, if I'm searching for something, I'll look at you know news about this thing. And if something was written last year, I'm probably going to defer to the thing that was written sometime this year. And if it was written in you know, the last month, I'm going to look at that before I look at the thing that was written six months ago. So there tends to be a lot of value in even just repurposing things that you wrote about a long time ago. Um, so writing blogs can be really, really helpful for media, as well as long form content on LinkedIn. So even things like a LinkedIn newsletter or um, an actual post or article that is a lot longer than your traditional social media, it's going to be really helpful because that's very searchable also. In addition to that, going live on socials, whether that's Instagram or Facebook or whatever else people are using these days, those social media lives, especially LinkedIn, because people are really accustomed to seeing people going live on LinkedIn or posting in their stories or posting reels, that's a really great place for you to spread your message and make sure that people are seeing you for the thing that you want to be known for. Also leveraging your network to connect with larger media outlets because you probably know someone who knows someone and maybe they know someone or it's a closer connection that they can connect you with somebody at a larger media outlet. And maybe they're not the right person, but they might be able to connect you to the right person. So again, using all of these things together, the speaking opportunities, the digital products, the networking and collaborations and media, all of those working together are a choose your own adventure. And having a strategy that you want to follow for that is going to put you on that path to thought leadership. Now, as you think of your own questions for me, I would love to hear them. You can reply to any of my emails and newsletters with general or specifics that you'd like to hear more about. And if you're not on my email list, go to semiconventional.com and sign up today. I personally hate getting billions of emails. So you know, I'm not going to be sending you three, six, seven, eight, nine emails a day, like a lot of the department stores, um, like Pottery Barn. Uh, I've unsubscribed from them so many times because I just don't like too many emails. So I will only send you things that are valuable and feel free to unsubscribe anytime. Until next time. 
Before you go, thanks for listening. Hit that subscribe button, then leave a review so other aspiring thought leaders can find the show and hone their spoken image too. That's it for today. And remember, I'm rooting for you.